Croiso, Croiso, we are the Manic Street Speakers, two friends chatting about the best band in the world. You are more than welcome to put up a seat and join us. Just stay a metre away and wear a face mask. It's simple. Wear a face mask. Um, coming up, we reminisce about the past, present and future tour and give our views on the new James Dean Bradfield single, The Boy from the Plantation. But first, it's time to meet, for me to introduce you to a woman who is anti-racism, anti-sexism, anti-animal cruelty, and now she's Auntie Emma. Yay! <laughs> it's surprisingly Emma. <laughs> That's my favourite intro so far. <laughs> If you weren't an auntie by the time we recorded this, an already lame joke wouldn't even have worked even then. <laughs> I was an auntie from the moment my sister-in-law got pregnant. <laughs> and my favourite thing about the whole situation, for listeners who don't know, um, my sister is married to a lady and um, my my sister's wife had a baby yesterday. And... When my sister got to the hospital because of COVID, obviously she couldn't be there until active labour had begun. And when she got to the hospital, apparently security said, um, who are you here for? And she told them her wife's name and they went, she's only allowed one birth partner. <laughs> my sister was like, yes, that's me. And they were like, really? What's your relation? And she was like, I'm her wife. <laughs> so... We, sit, we clearly have a bit of a way to go still, because people just assume man-woman is the norm. But, um, but yes, he's beautiful. Uh, hosting this podcast is a man who, just a fortnight ago, sent me a video of a 911 video, that, that I've written that beautifully, uh, on his television because he secretly loves them almost as much as he loves Tess Dead Behind the Eyes daily. He's recently celebrated his dog's sixth birthday and unlike his own 40th, I didn't get a Zoom invite for that one, but I have forgiven him because he's my friend. He's Mikey! <laughs> that sounded like a train there, I don't know why. <laughs> he's Thomas! <laughs> But yes, my, my dog turned six yesterday. We've only had him like three months, but we tried to take a a picture of a selfie with him, as a family selfie with him yesterday, and it took about ten attempts. No attempts were looking at the camera. He'd be fucking shit on Zoom. I tried to take a photo with my dog today. I say I, I got my mum to. And he was lying on my lap and I was like, oh, this is so cute. We should take a photo. And my mum came out and was like, do you want me to try? Literally the second she got the camera, and he'd been staring at where my mum was standing. As soon as she got her camera out, he just moved. His head was nowhere looking at the camera at all. So I have a lovely photo of me desperately looking frustrated trying to get him to stare at the camera. The only photo time I can take a photo of him where he doesn't move is when he's asleep, dangling upside down, head dangling off the sofa, like with his with his jowls over his over his nostrils. <laughs> I love the way dogs sleep. My dog has well, he, I should say he's not really mine. He's the family dog, but he's got like a big mattress, like a dog mattress, rather than a, a one of those beds with a side. You know, it's like a dog mattress thing, and he lies on it with his head off the mattress on the kitchen floor, and I'm like, why? Have you put your head on the non-comfortable bit, you strange hound? I've just no idea. Oh, they're very odd animals, but I do love them. 
Okay, we'll start this week with uh, a Manix origin story. This marks a special occasion for the podcast. To introduce our first audio message, we have a very, very special guest. Can you guess who it is? James Dean Bradfield. <laughs> You're not far off. It's Sean Moore. <gasps> wow. He's going to get his trumpet out. Are you ready, Sean? Why are you here, Sean? Um, how are you doing these days? Have you uh, purchased any fridges lately? I'm spellbound. <laughs> He's actually going to introduce another Sean... Uh, Sean Wright has sent us an audio message of his Manix origin story. One last time, for the encore, Sean Moore. Hello, I'm Sean and this is my Manix origin story. Truth be told, I was a latecomer to becoming a proper fan of the band in my mid-twenties, but we'll get to that point shortly. I still had memories of the band in my childhood. In 1998, age 9, I was watching CITV on a Friday afternoon after school and a small preview of Saturday's Twix-sponsored chart show came on. Up popped if you tolerate this. I just remember the video being slightly harrowing with all those faceless mannequins knocking about the place. I remember the song getting lots of airplay. I didn't mind the song, but I didn't investigate the band any further. The next dalliance with the Mannix came in 2002, when my parents got me a selection of CDs for my birthday. One of the records they thought I might like was Forever Delayed, the compilation album. I was a big fan of the main singles like Design for Life, Australia and Motorcycle Emptiness, but I never got on board with the rest of it. My ears were still plugged in with the latter stages of new metal and the beginnings of the careers of the Strokes and the Hives. I wasn't ready to delve into bands who I probably would have considered well old at the time. Like the Mannix. As the rest of the Norses flew by through the indie explosion, through to the rise of dubstep, which is a terrible genre by the way, early in the following decade, the Mannix penny finally dropped. Age 24, I heard the beautiful song Rewind the Film on BBC Six Music. It was so wonderfully written, introspective, and a great cameo from Richard Hawley as well. I went to Spotify to listen to the full album and was blown away. Southern Welsh Heart is a great opener. I was a fan of Lucy Rose as well, so that helped lure me into the rest of the LP. Another outstanding nugget is Four Lonely Roads, with the wistful Welsh tones of Kate Le Bon. The album is so mature and warm. This in turn made me visit the full catalogue of the Manic's work. It's an absolute treasure trove. The Guns N' Roses influence Generation Terrorists, the haunting and bleakness of Holy Bible, which contains my favourite bass on and archives of pain, 
through to the brightness and hope of everything must go. How on earth did I waste so many years not filling my ears with such appetising musical nourishment? Better late than never, I guess. I was also becoming politically aware around this time, and looking through the prism of the band, particularly Nicky, enthused me greatly. In 2014, during Glastonbury, Nicky informed the crowd that you can make a musical record deep-rooted in politics and achieve chart success. It can be done, he said. He also said something similar at another festival about how it's possible to make a change in politics, as he started the Good Friday Agreement. I was enamoured with the way he speaks about issues, whether I agree with him or not. Alongside this, I do like to indulge in a jive-walled rant from Nicky White every so often. Don't we all? I'm aware I'm being a bit Nicky-centric here. You cannot discount the marvellous vocals of James, nor the underrated drumming of Sean, who also has a great name, and spelt correctly. And of course, there's Richie. Upon learning of his disappearance, it was alleged he visited a hotel that I myself checked into in 2007, the King's Hotel in Newport. He apparently went there in the days leading up to his disappearance. It's sad we don't get to see him anymore, but we cannot ever forget the impression he made on the band. Good night, God bless, Richie. As I listened to the Outward Looking Futurology album in 2014, my first Mannix gig was on the horizon for the Holy Bible tour. The Albert Hall in Manchester was full of fans in army-drenched attire with balaclavas, outlandish feather bowers and leopard print tops and eyeliner. It was like a manic mania. Unforgettable. Unfortunately, we had to cut short our gig to get the last train home, so I missed us on for life. I was really gutted. But the disappointment was rectified in 2018, as I witnessed a Mannix concert in its entirety at Manchester Arena. Design for Life being sung by thousands of people is such a unique experience. And that is my Mannix origin story, a band of principle, purity and defiance. This is my truth, and maybe you, the listener, can tell me yours. Stay beautiful. So that is the other Sean, Sean Wright, um, doing a partnership with Sean Moore, amazingly. Thank you very much for your message, much appreciated. And honestly, we welcome lots of written and audio messages because otherwise we'll just do lame jokes about aunties another exciting news i'm not going to get sean to go for a fanfare because he's just got the taxi um oh bye sean (laughs) um we are changing our email because i'm I'm getting annoyed with myself by saying manic speaker i will still check the old emails in case any come through but the new email will be msppod at gmail.com so send your stuff there Yeah.
This episode's B-side is Dead Passive. It is a B-side to A Design for Life and was released on the 15th of April 1996. Uh, Emma, what are your first opinions of... Not first opinions, it's been out 20 years. <laughs> um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, and I think this is slightly controversial, to be honest with you, because uh, Dead Passive didn't make it onto Lipstick Traces. Quite a lot didn't, to be fair. Quite a lot didn't, to be fair, yeah. But I, I feel like it's one of the songs they're not like, oh yeah, this is one of our best beats. Like, I freaking love this song. You weren't gearing up for that. I thought you were gearing up to, I'm disappointed by it. And then you shocked me that. Oh God, no, no. Oh, um, I, I have a story about it as well. Um, but I will, I will start by reading you my notes and then I will tell you my little story about this. Um, so, I have written, Gentle, lilting chord progression is almost lullaby-esque, compounded by the very unmanic use of a flute in the chorus. Feels, oh, where am I? Feels like an, I, I, oh my god, I nearly said iconic. Feels like an ironic use of a sweet, almost romantic melody, given that it's a song about people who seem to care more about looking as though their life is perfect than they do about actually doing anything to actively achieve real fulfilment. The level of scorn for this shallow, vacuous way of living feels very apt for the Manics, and I love the line, let's fall asleep to a plastic lullaby. The song's point is pretty well made by the fact that none of the celebrity couples mentioned are still together. And I have a huge soft spot for this song. Musically, I believe it sounds somewhere between the softer moments of the Holy Bible, such as This Is Yesterday, and Everything Must Go's general vibe. And those are my notes. Would you like my story? Do you know I'm going to do my catchphrase? Go on then. So, um, I, when I was first becoming like hugely obsessed by the Mannix, which, as we have discussed, was in about 1999, I bought uh, a bootleg CD of B-sides and it was like it wasn't just B-sides it was mostly B-sides it was called something like Manic Street Preachers Acoustic and um, it had a really bad Photoshop front cover of them looking like they were hovering in a tree <laughs> and, and, um, and one of the songs on it was listed as being called Dead Pressure and it was this and I thought it was very odd that it was called Dead Pressure, but they mentioned the word passive a lot. <laughs> and I was like, I don't really, I don't even know where the name Dead Pressure comes from. But, you know, I really, really, and it was because I believed <laughs> in that bootleg CD and it wasn't on Lipstick Traces or anything like that. And I'm one of these people who I do, I Google things about bands I like, and I will come on to that later when we discuss James's song. But... I kind of never, I never thought to check it at all. So it it was years and years and years later before I saw that they had a song called Dead Passive and I was like, oh, I don't know that one. I wonder how that goes. And I pressed play and I was like, oh, everything makes sense now. <laughs> so yes, uh, Dead Passive is one of my favourite B-sides. I love it. You were fooled by dyslexic for years. <laughs> I really was. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the celebrity couples not being together anymore. Uh, Kate and Johnny is Kate Moss and Johnny Depp. Adam and Naomi is Adam Clayton and Naomi Campbell. And Michael and Helena, Michael Hutchins and Helena Christensen. But um, yeah, to me it's like a take on showbiz culture but done through 
relationships. Something like how vacuous it is. The verse to me sounds very disconnected, like disassociating, which is good because it's called Dead Passive. The, the sound of it, the way the, the guitar strums and the way it lollops along. But she's so passive, but she's looking good. He's so passive, but he's looking good. They are together, but they're really apart, but really they're apart. They are together, but do not belong. But do not belong. <laughs> <laughs> they do not think, just sit and pretend. They sit around and pray for it to end. So, yeah, that sums up what you're saying. It's it's the, the, the facade. It is, and I, I feel like um, the end is very... Because I don't believe they're talking necessarily about themselves, even though they say we're so passive. Uh, at the very end, people can argue with me if they like. Please be polite. I, I'm very emotional. Um, but, no, I, I've always thought at the end when he says we're so passive, do our bit for charity... I always feel like I think that's them taking on the viewpoint of one of these celebrities they're sort of talking about and going down the route of, oh, look what we're doing. We're doing all this stuff for free. We don't expect payment. Look, we're, we're doing it for the kids. You know, we're raising money for charity. And it's like, yeah, but you're doing it when the cameras are there. What are you doing when the cameras aren't? And I feel like there's that very... I, I feel like it's a very manicsy thing to do to be like sort of pouring scorn on people who are very look at me though look at me because that's quite an un i say it's an unmanicsy thing to do obviously the way they dressed in the early days and the way nikki still quite often dresses now is very look at us and look at me but it's always been more of a sort of shock value with the manics rather than praise me i'm so wonderful which i feel like they're sort of highlighting in this song to a degree yeah that's true but like you say it does change tense in the song they're suddenly they're suddenly referring to themselves and that could be the general public i we're so passive we put up with absolute celebrity culture and nonsense in newspapers and we just go along with, oh you're doing something you're doing something for charity oh good well well that fair enough then you know it could it could be that it could very well be i just i've always felt that they're not talking about themselves. That's all I'll, what that's kind of where I was going with that. No. Um, I really love the verses and I love the feel of it and I love the instrumentation. Uh, I feel like the instrumentation and the and the, the vibe it's going for is better than the chorus. I think the chorus is a bit of a letdown. I've always felt the chorus sort of... This is going to sound really bizarre. Okay, but this is the way my brain works. I'm a strange person. I've always felt that the verses feel a bit like you're climbing a ladder and the chorus is like you're going down a slide. There's just something na, 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 as you're going down. And it's almost like dreamy. It's almost like, oh, isn't it wonderful and floaty and fabulous? And I almost feel like that in itself is another bit of a poking fun at this culture that's the way i've always seen it i don't get me wrong i like songs that have a verse and a chorus or something that is very different but i think because of the sub uh subject of the song and the way it's so like almost robotic not robotic that's not really the word but quite distant in the way that the way that it's delivering and then it goes into something quite floaty and and 
nice sounding is for for a song that's been really attacking attacking something it's quite oh fuck you you cunt (laughs) (laughs) see i've always i've always really appreciated the fact because i was thinking about this earlier when i was um because i listened to it obviously for the podcast i was like well let's give it a listen and write write some notes like a good girl Uh, and um and one of the things i was thinking is it would have been so easy with such scornful lyrics with like these lyrics that basically are saying oh my god it's so fucking shallow um the way these people live their lives and the way we sort of laud them for living this shallow existence it would have been really easy to have written something grimy and angry or like first republic which we covered exactly and i feel like james pointedly went no because they show themselves in this rose-tinted soft focus so I'm going to write music that is rose-tinted and soft focused and that's kind of how I hear it I'm like this this has been done very deliberately because it's this soft focus gentle because that's how they want to portray themselves and yeah I, I, I personally think it works yeah no I do see that yeah definitely um in terms of a rating what would you give it out of five i've given it a four i've gone with a three it, it doesn't it, it i like it it's 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 a, it's a nice song to listen to but it doesn't have that deeper emotional connection that a lot of their songs do it's it, it's brilliant it's a good song okay i put a poll out on twitter oh i'm excited can you sound excited I'm excited! <laughs> Can you sound a bit less excited? I'm excited. Okay, let's just stop this because it's just getting creepier. 13% gave it 5 stars. 25% gave it 4 stars. 44% gave it 3 stars. Which means I'm correct. Uh, and 19%... <laughs> really? Brexit. That's all I'll say. Yeah. 19% gave it 2 stars. The finger of Manic's past. Yes! So I'm going to pick, scroll up and down the screen as usual. You know the rules. Some Someone asked for um, the finger's uh, autograph this week. Did they? They said it was like paperwork for work, but you know, I think it was. I think that's, they're obviously a fan. Fan of the podcast, fan of the finger. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I feel like fan of the finger is going to come back and bite your ass. <laughs> Only if I'm lucky. Um, right, I'm scrolling up and down. Say stop whenever you require. I'm ready to say it and stop. Bored out of my mind. That's that, that's not the song, it's just a statement. <laughs> 
Thanks. <laughs> I'm going to put a poll again on Twitter and leave people to comment. And the next episode, we will talk about Bored Out of My Mind. Were you there? Were you there? Basically, we'll look at a certain tour or a certain gig of Manic's history and we'll reminisce about the good times when gigs happened and we weren't all stuck inside and just going to work. So, yeah, we've had a few um, responses to this. But Emma, you teased an episode or two ago about your story because you went to this tour, didn't you? I went to Southampton Guildhall on the Past, Present, Future tour and it was my third Mannix gig, I think. In fact, I know because the first two were both at Plymouth Pavilions. Uh, It was the furthest I'd ever been at that point to go to a Mannix gig and it was the very first time that I queued because... um, when I went to Plymouth Pavilions and saw them for the very first time, I turned up and somehow managed to get to about three rows from the front. Um, and the second time, because I got incredibly squashed, uh, I had seats for the second time. Um, so this was the first time that we'd ever queued. There was me, uh, my sister and her then-girlfriend, and um, my gig buddy at the time, Kirsty. And we travelled up to Southampton and it was really a nice queue. Um, there was there was just really nice people. There was a girl who was handing out lollipops at one point that I remember. They were filming for um, No Manifestos. And, or No Manifesto. I can never remember what that's called. Is, have they got an S on the end? No, it's No Manifesto. No, no manifesto. They were filming for that. You're in it. You should bloody know. I am in it. Um, and my sister wore a fancy dress naval uniform with who's responsible, you fucking are, spray painted on the back. And she's in no manifesto. Um, so that was really exciting. And what was super exciting was we queued because we basically had this realisation that the first time we went, uh, when it was just me and my sister the first time, We had been completely squished because we were about three rows from the front. Everybody started jumping up and down when motorcycle emptiness started. And we had made our way sort of towards the back of the standing area where where there was room to breathe. Because I I think we have mentioned on the podcast that I have really shit lungs (laughs) and I couldn't breathe. So, and then that's why we got seats for the second time. And we'd had this chat, um, me and Kirsty and Michelle my sister and we sort of said right let's let's get there early and let's queue and see if we can get to be on the barrier because that way you know all the the crush will be behind us if there is one and we'll we'll have fresh air in front of us we'll be able to breathe so we queued and um the doors opened and first of all there was one very funny incident where (laughs) my sister got stopped by security and the rest of us hadn't and we were sort of like rushing. And my sister, like she was in a war film, just went, Go without me! <laughs> Save yourself! Um, yeah, that's exactly what it was like, and we did. <laughs> but what was really fun and unexpected was we'd gotten there, and if, if Kirsty is listening to this, unlikely, but if she is, she will remember this, that we always used to go what would be considered Richie side of the barrier once upon a time 
and we'd always be quite close to the end of the barrier when we went to gigs and that's just where we always stood apart from when I went to see the Manics at Eden when I was right in front of Nikki and um, this particular the first time we'd ever gone for the barrier we got there and then we got pushed off the end <laughs> and um, Mitch Aikido was there and he had his camera and he was sort of getting ready to take photos and there was a security man there as well and we were like oh god we've been pushed and he just went oh do you know what come and stand here and we stood in front of the barrier for that gig <laughs> so um it's the only time one and only time that's ever happened um but we had it meant it was just awesome because it meant we had loads of room um because obviously there was nobody directly in front of us there was not really many people behind us because we were like to the side um and and we had all this room to sort of dance and muck about we had a really good view of the stage um and it was just really nice and afterwards uh it was the first time we waited for the band as well um i was too shy to say to james dean bradfield can i have a photo so i don't think i have it anymore i think i was so embarrassed by it by it that I actually got rid of it but I did have a photo where I had literally just done the worst thing you can do to anybody famous and just stuck my camera in his face and so I had this photo of him looking very like um, at me and I, I, I re really regret it because I have a couple of photos with me and James in them now and he's always so lovely about it so I, I kind of yeah that was not my finest hour um, and Kirsty had a photo not quite with Nicky because he was so distracted by so many people shouting at him um, to, to want their photo with him and to sign things. But she has a photo of herself with him next to her. So, so that, that was nice. But it, I just remember it being a really lovely gig experience because it was, you know, our first time queuing, our first time doing all this thing. And it just worked out really well. Um, and the set was really good. They played a few unexpected uh numbers and um yeah it was i i have really fond memories of that tour i'm gonna say what was the gig like itself it was good i'm trying to think who supported them i think it might have been the delays um i i genuinely can't for the life of me remember now um but it was a really good gig and i remember someone out there is going to remember this better than me um i have a feeling that uh during his acoustic little set james played this is yesterday and i i think my sister had bought them we had glow sticks uh, that we had taken and i held this glow stick aloft and i just had tears streaming down my face and i was completely lost in the moment because this is yesterday it just holds it's always held a lot of meaning for me um it holds more meaning now than it did then but even back then it had held a lot of meaning for me um so i'm there with this glow stick aloft feather bow around my head like fluffy tiara on my head um around my neck is what i meant feather bow around my neck not around my head <laughs> and fluffy tiara on my head and yeah these tears streamed down my face and i was completely lost wasn't noticing anything around me until the end of the song when I sort of turned slightly and Mitch Aikido was just in my face with his camera <laughs> taking a photo and he was like that was brilliant you look lovely you look beautiful <laughs> and then disappeared and I remember Kirsty sort of going to me Mitch Aikido just took a photo of you because <laughs> it was you know obviously we all know who he is it was, it's it's an exciting time um but yeah I, it was 
I I just loved it. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I know that's a tour you didn't go on, and I wish I wish I could say it was shit, <laughs> but it but it wasn't. It's a weird thing for me because like sometimes you when you see the Manics a lot, and it's only it's your fault essentially, i.e. my fault. No, no, it's my fault that I see the Max a lot. And then sometimes you go, oh, that set list, they don't change that up enough. And, you know, I think they've got better with that in recent years. But I didn't go to this tour because at the time, 2005, I'd split up with my girlfriend. I lived in Devon, but I split up with my girlfriend. I'd, I'd left a job and I was just like, at that stage where I was like, I didn't know what to do. I was totally skint. So at that time, I went back to Dorset with my family for a bit. And it was exactly the same time where that tour was happening. And it was post Lifeblood, a year after Lifeblood. And I wasn't, it, that's the stage most in most Manic's history since I've been a fan where I've not connected with them as much. At that, at that time, if I'd had the money, if I'd been in a, in a certain situation that I could have gone, I would have gone. But the way my life was at that time, I couldn't afford it. I, I, I had... I was job hunting, I was skint, I was moving moving back area again, and I was just, I couldn't do it. And it it, it, it really hurt me inside, it's like, I, I'm not going to a manic store, even though I was a bit disillusioned with Lifeblood, I was gutted, absolutely gutted. And then news came filtered through of what the set list was like, and uh, I was just like, what on earth? <laughs> it's just so frustrating. And it's the, this way I felt last year, because last year was... I couldn't get to the this, this the second tour I UK tour I've missed since I've been a fan. I couldn't get to it because I moved house three times. I had three different jobs last year and there was too much going on. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't get to it. I've just I've just had I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um I've just looked at the the set list and it was actually the everlasting. Uh, not this is this is yesterday. I suddenly had a thought where I was like I don't think it was this is yesterday. It wasn't. It was the everlasting. Um, but I know it was, because um, I have this memory that they did 1985 first, and they didn't. I have seen them when they've done 1985 as their first song. Um, I think that was on the Lifeblood tour, funnily enough. <laughs> um, but they they opened with a walking abortion. And that, I mean, what a gig. What a way to open a gig. Oh. I've there's there's been plenty I've missed. Don't worry. This was the this was the time where they released the God Save the Manix EP. Yes. It was the start of almost a revolt against Lifeblood. I probably what I would want them to do, and the kind of tour that exactly kind of tour that I would love to be at. It was there was this, what became Send Away the Tigers era. Eventually, it was that getting that fight back and that energy back. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of fight, you have just reminded me of how much I love Firefight. Yeah, I I think we'll cover that at some stage. The 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 EP definitely, because it's a it's a weird like forgotten piece of their history that that kind of just went came and went, and not many you know apart from hardcore fans, a lot of people don't really know about it. And I think it was an important part in revitalizing them to get to send away the tigers and journal for plague lovers. Okay, um, I'll, I'll do a couple of messages first. I've got a message from Sarah. Uh, people slid into my DMs. 
Oh, I know you love it when that happens. <laughs> um, Sarah says, I've never seen them better and I saw them with Richie. It was a band rediscovering itself, fighting against itself and winning. Which is a really good way of putting it. Wow, that's a really good way of putting it. Uh, message from Paul. I had a nightmare journey, late train, and then when I got there, realised my ticket was at home. After much faffing about at the ticket office, I got into the venue with the riff to, uh, of walking abortion kicking off. The stress was worth it for that moment alone. Uh, okay, have, you've got one as well? Um, yes, I have Tonya's um, memories of the Past, Present, Future tour. She says, It was a strange time, as I think they're a bit directionless. Cracking gigs, though. My friend and I went to Edinburgh and Leeds. It rained on both days, naturally. My abiding memory is of Edinburgh. Afterward, we went and stood in the queue to try and get some signatures. Had never done this before. See, it was obviously a time when most of us did that for the first time. Uh, after Martin had finally located Sean, easy to lose, being so diminutive, they went along the line and signed. When Nicky came to sign my personal tour programme, he took one look at the rather famous picture on his page, taken whilst he was rather tipsy on the This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours tour, and declared... It was a rough night that night. I threw up over Peter Hayne. I tangoed him. <laughs> I think you'll agree that if your idol is going to impart words of import to you to take to your grave, that's a cracker. And she has attached the evidence of the signature, which does indeed say, it was a rough night. I threw up over Peter Hayne. I tangoed him. Peter Hayne, he was a Labour politician? I think he was, yes. I'm pretty sure he was. If he wasn't... Then, then we are sorry for not knowing him I've got a message from Stephen. I went on a third date to the Liverpool gig, and he means a date as in with a woman. It was lo- well, it might have been also the third date. I don't know. It was loud and sweaty, and so was the concert. Cheeky face. But but, but seriously, we're still together today. Her opinion of the Mannix is not suitable for your podcast, though. <laughs> Successful date, maybe not a successful gig for her. (laughs) Okay, Chris, last one. I blagged a last-minute ticket, and thank goodness I did. The set list was so surprising. The band was on fire. One of the best gigs I've ever been to. Walked out with a torn T-shirt and adrenaline pumping. I've got to say, I've seen the Manics a lot of times, and I would say arguably one of the best set lists was this tour thank you for your messages we are going to do another gig soon not a real gig because we're not allowed to go to real gigs i'm going to make you jealous now because i've had to endure everyone else's enjoyment oh i know what you're about to say and i'm going to get cross is it the millennium gig the next from despair to were you there is going to be about go on no you bastard And, uh, yeah, so if you were at the Manic Millennium, we'll do it in two or three episodes time. Send us an audio message, a written message, slide into my DMs, sexily or unsexily. Send us replies on Twitter and we will reminisce about something that Emma didn't go to. I wanted to. My parents wouldn't let me. (laughs) How old were you? I was old enough to have gone. (laughs) I was uh, 17, but I couldn't drive. And um, 
I don't know if I had like a Saturday job at the time, I actually can't remember. So they were like, how are you going to afford it? Where are you going to stay? How are you going to get there? You don't know anyone. At the time, I didn't know anyone who could drive. So I think it was a little bit like, no, I don't feel like you'll be safe. I think you should just stay at home. And I'm sure if it's that big a deal, there'll be a DVD or a video. I had it on video and um, can confirm it wasn't the same. Well, how do you know you weren't there? Oh, okay, okay, fine. <laughs> Next up, we will talk about the new James Dean Bradfield single, The Boy from the Plantation. James has released his third song from his forthcoming album, Even in Exile. It's called The Boy from the Plantation. Um, my first thoughts are, it's it doesn't grab me the way the first two songs have grabbed me. It's more mainstream and more safer, I would say, than what he's released before. I disagree. <laughs> um, no, for me... I really like, I don't know if it is because it's more mainstream and maybe I'm just a heathen, <laughs> but, but I just really, it, it grabbed me because it feels so familiar. There's something incredibly, I, I just, I listened to it and I was like, have I heard this? Have I heard this before? I feel like I know it. I feel like I know this song. And there was something very comforting about that. Um, would you like my notes? Uh, you know what? Go on. Uh, I have written, the intro feels dark and almost industrial. The opening line, I knew when I cradled you that you were going to shine, feels apt for my current situation as a new auntie, so that may be a bit mushy, I'm not going to lie. Musically, there's a dark undercurrent to the chord progression leading to the chorus, which hints at the story of Victor, I'm going to say this wrong, is it Lydia, Victor Lydia Hara Martinez, isn't it? And I love that this song and indeed the whole concept of the album made me google to find out more about who Victor was and what happened to him because I admit to being a little bit clueless I I didn't really know much about any of this period in history well I knew about this period in history but I didn't know about him um and although this is a James solo project it does feel very manix to be researching references in songs because that's something I do with so many manix lyrics um, it feels like a very pertinent time to release something about the left fighting for freedom and unity against right-wing dictators. My problem with this song, more than anything, and it's my own personal problem, when he says the name, you go for it. Victor Lidio Hara Martinez. I want to sing Rafa Benitez. 
We need to do that misheard lyrics podcast. We, we definitely do. We definitely do. Um, no, I love the moody guitar in the beginning. I love the verses. It builds up tension. It's, it builds up an atmosphere to it. And to me, when I say it's a bit disappointing, I just think when it gets to the chorus, even though it, the chorus is catchy, it's not exciting, I suppose, after what it feels like it's building up to something. And it's, don't get me wrong, like on, on the guitar work and the the, the, no, the production and everything about it sounds really good, really impressive. But I just, I'm just, the chorus doesn't elevate enough for me. And that's that's my only problem with it, that it just doesn't reach further and maybe it's it, it that's the point it's not supposed to i don't know that could well be it i um i that's it it's funny because quite often we're on a similar wavelength and that never occurred to me um and i don't know whether because i was on this this sounds so familiar trip um when i say trip i just mean in the musical sense um <laughs> i see um <laughs> but i do I, yeah, I, there was just something I had it in my head for a good hour afterwards. I was just wandering around the house, humming, humming it. And for me, I always say, "Well, that's that shows that something has has been well written to, in on some level because it's made you it's it's crawled into your head like the earworm that it is." Yeah, no, I understand it. I mean, it, it's it's so well done as a song I just think it's probably lacking a form of excitement but then if you talk about the subject matter of the album and it's not going to be like a, probably a grand standing chorus where everyone's swaying their arms with you know or like everyone's jumping up and down going mad it's not, I understand that and the, the more recent listens I gave it a couple of listens today before this and it is growing on me more can I give it a shout out for having the album title in the lyrics? I always get a bit excited. <laughs> I did the same. I was like, oh, even Alexa! Hey! Points for that because that's, and it's one of those things as well because, with, particularly with the Manics, like there's certain albums like Gold Against the Soul and Everything Must Go where, and Send Away the Tigers. And I'm sure I'm, post- I'm not going to go through them all. But there are certain Manics albums where they're named after a song on them, or you know whether they were named after that song, whether they came up with the title and then went let's write a song around that. I don't know. Don't know how they were structured, but I I love it when there's when there's an album title and it seems obscure and there's not a song on the track list with that name and you're like oh where did they get that from? I love it when you hear it in a lyric and you're like oh that's where they got it from. So um, yeah. Yeah, I always think it's it's better to have an an album called a, something from a lyric rather than a song title. I'm I'm very peculiar about I'm, I'm peculiar, but Manix have committed three of the crimes that I hate in albums. Don't put a cover version on an album. Don't put a remix on an album. And don't put a bonus track on an album. They've done it all. Fuck it, I hate them. This this podcast is over. (laughs) They have done it all. (laughs) Join me next week in the Mikey Hates the Manics podcast. (laughs) We've had some comments about James's first three songs from Even in Exile. Um, 
Lester McCoy has said, Not jumping for joy, to be honest, but perhaps they'll grow on me. It's no great Western. Yeah, I mean, you'd be hard-pushed to equal the, the, the Great Western, because the Great Western is an absolute beast of an album. Another message from Sean. There'll come a war is so haunting, images of being in a badly lit underpass while seeking the room is emerging from the tunnel into the light. Oh, I like that. Mm. Uh, you've got a message as well? Yes, and it says, uh, I really adore the new James Solo songs. I love the lifebloodish FD era electronic vibes to They'll Come a War and Seeking the Room. It sounds so lovely and well produced. I had no idea about Victor Hara, but I do now. Isn't this brilliant? What other bands make you dig into historical artists and characters like that? That is one of the things I loved. And wow, The Boy from the Plantation is a tune. I have that on repeat. I'm just overly in love with it. Overall, this is the best and most interesting thing from the Manics camp for many years, and I also love their newer stuff. I can't wait to hear the whole album. Oh, now there's a Danish word. <laughs> I should have Googled how you say this. Um, it's not Dane Pack, is it? No, oh, now I want bacon. <laughs> Thank you for a, a highly, high as we say in Denmark, podcast. I did Google it and it means nice, very nice. Um, but I, I, Jesper, can you please message us and let me know how you say that word, please? Because I feel like I've just offended all of Denmark. <laughs> not, not, not as much as me who just heard the word Denmark and thought of bacon. <laughs> So next episode, by the time we record our next episode, the James album will be out and we'll be like, not dissecting it like we did Postcards from a Young Man because there's, you know, I think these things need a long time to... Yeah, it's got a bed in. Yeah, I was going to say Festa. <laughs> the first time I listen to this song, uh, I the first thing I do is go to Google and I type the name of the song and then lyrics and I get the lyrics up and I typed in... The Boy from the Plantation lyrics didn't add James Dean Bradfield, just The Boy from the Plantation lyrics. And these lyrics came up, didn't look at the small print. And I read them through and I was like, wow, well, these are quite hopeful. These are very, you know, there's a better future out there. No more picking cotton for you. And I was thinking, OK, this, oh, all right. I mean, OK, that great you know it's very hope and I wrote in my notes there is a scribbled out bit <laughs> where I'm like well this is very hopeful and it feels very pertinent for the time that we're living in you know we're, we're, there's better futures ahead and then I pressed play <laughs> on the song and was like these do not match these are different words and it was only then that I read the small print and realized I had been reading the lyrics for Plantation Boy by Boney M <laughs> <laughs> I can see James singing this. Valleys? If you tolerate plantations, 
Okay, we get the gist. <laughs> Plantation boy, come on and get going. Yesterday's chains have broken in two. Plantation boy, the new move is growing. Reaching the hills of valleys new. <laughs> James Boney Bradfield. Time for our new feature, Sean. Sean. Thanks, mate. Checks in the post. Culture sluts, and this isn't as insulting as it sounds, because Manics are a, a band that absorb influences and books, films, music. It, I think it's a really good thing on this podcast to explore the things that we like and the things that you like, whether they're old or new. You know, especially if we feel it's not getting enough attention because there's so much content. I hate that word, but there is so much content out there. There's so much music out there on streaming platforms. There's so much TV. If you think, hey, I really love this book or I really love this film, let us know. There's another thing. Because of the art's really struggling right now and we talked about it a bit last episode but there is a bailout from the government but we don't know what that means because even even in the last few days two two venues in manchester have closed a venue in hull has closed my beef at the moment is that it doesn't cover live comedy and you know that one of my passions beside music is live comedy. I absolutely, there's nothing more thrilling than going into a comedy club and sitting there and thinking, what's gonna happen? What am I gonna hear about? Is it gonna be somebody really edgy? Are we gonna talk about politics? Am I gonna be cheering this person's opinion as well as laughing? Or is it just gonna be something that just makes me laugh and forget about the rest of the world? And the idea of some of the really small little venues. I mean, I was thinking about it the other day and some of the comedians that I used to go and see, I haven't been to a live gig for, well, obviously no one's been to a live gig for a long time. I think of some of the people I saw and you're talking about people who now are household names that are on, um, you know, programmes like Mock the Week and 8 Out of 10 Cats and stuff like that. And also people who are now writers, like Holly Walsh. I saw Holly Walsh when she was just starting out in stand-up, and now she's writing, um, you know, BBC shows and stuff. And I'm thinking, well, all these people, they got their start in these little clubs that I used to travel all the way up to London and places like that to go and see them. And A, there's new comedians who want to get their start and where are they going to perform, you know, because these little venues that are so amazing and nurture the talent of young stand-ups, they're, they're, they're going to be shutting down because they're not getting, um, they're not getting this bailout from the government. And B, the audiences, you know, it, it just is such a, a happiness injection. Great song title. It is actually, we should write that. Um, <laughs> but I do, I just... I love live comedy. I'm really passionate about it. And it really bothers me that 
the government have decided that's that's not an art form and it and you know they're not going to get any of this bailout no but it goes to it goes to this whole argument of in lockdown what have people been relying on not not the live aspect of it but we've been relying on music netflix bbc channel 4 sky live, live stream yeah live streaming on facebook people bands and artists putting putting content out on facebook live and it, it this is the the weirdest thing like it's not even that it's theater as well the the theater royal in plymouth is pretty much is it officially closed down or they've made a load of people redundant? The May... They've made a lot of people redundant. I'm hoping they don't close down because I adore that place and I see so many, so many shows there. I will be absolutely devastated. The Mayflower in Southampton has closed down. Yes, it's great they have put a bit of funding since we last recorded an episode. But where's it going to go? Is it going to go mostly into West End theatre? And the rest of the country is going to be left out? I feel like a lot of it... Yeah, I feel like a lot of it is going to go to the big venues. I feel like a lot of it... Because, you know, there was this huge thing about... But the Royal Albert Hall are going to go broke. And, yeah, it's important to save the Royal Albert Hall. I'm not knocking that in any way, shape or form. But there are so many smaller venues that... When when you slice this money, it sounds like a huge amount. And they're like, oh, we've got this, these billions that we're going to put into the arts. And actually, once you divvy it out amongst little clubs like the Cavern in Exeter, you know, and places like that, that's when you're going to start going, um, <laughs> how are we supposed to stay afloat? And like I said, comedy clubs aren't going to get anything. And that winds me right up. Comedy, I guess isn't viewed as art, which is strange in itself. But also, comedy is a rebellious act. Most comedy kicks up against the establishment. The same with music. It's the same with music. Yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? It's it's almost... Um, this whole thing is almost like putting a gag on those voices, those dissenting voices. And I think at a time like this, we need them more than ever. Absolutely. And don't be offended when I ask this question. Okay, culture slut. What's your first recommendation? <laughs> uh, my first recommendation is for a show I made you watch an episode of. Um, actually, together. We do actually meet sometimes. We were actually in the same room. This was about three years ago. You, you, you came up and we thought, we'd let's have a a day of just watching binge watching telly most of the time we just talk nonsense and didn't watch much telly we watched a bit of misfits i remember and you showed me crazy ex-girlfriend i think we watched more than one episode and i and i really liked it i really really liked it and i said i'm gonna watch that i'm gonna watch the rest of that three years later i haven't seen any more than what i know i know it's good that's the annoying thing i literally cannot express my love for the television show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. First of all, uh, you can find it on Netflix, so that is your place. Go to Netflix. Um, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is a comedy. It's written by Rachel Bloom, uh, co-written by Aileen Bosch McKenna, and it's a comedy with music, so it's a musical comedy. And what they do is in each episode there's usually two or three full songs that are written for the show and sometimes they're spoofs of other songs or other genres 
um, sometimes they're like huge musical theatre productions, but it is so funny and so cleverly done. And the songs are written by Rachel Bloom, who's um, not only does she write it and write a lot of the songs, but she stars as Rebecca Bunch, the main character, the crazy ex-girlfriend of whom the title speaks. Uh, they're written by the songs are written by Rebecca. Rebecca Bunch, <laughs> written by Rachel Bloom, Jack Jolden, and the late great Adam Schlesinger, who um, some people will know as the singer from Fountains of Wayne. Um, Stacey's mum has got it going on and all of that. Um, and I love it. I mean, there will be people who go, oh my God, a show where people burst in song. That sounds absolutely horrendous. Um, but it's not. It's, it's so sharply written it's so witty and it's so clever and basically the whole concept is to turn this trope of the crazy ex-girlfriend on its head um it is one of the most feminist shows i've ever seen uh, which with a title like crazy ex-girlfriend you would not expect and i think that's the whole point it's like yes there's this woman and she's crazy and she's still mad about her ex and blah 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 um but there as you sort of peel away all of the layers as the series goes on you realize actually this is a person who is battling a lot of mental health issues she's been through a hell of a lot in her life she's never really addressed the things that she's been through in her life and it's one of the most real and raw depictions of mental health i've ever seen and it's sort of the way that show can go from being you know, up-tempo, dance number, musical theatre, tra-la-la-la-la, like insanely, amazingly choreographed and, and sung song to this incredibly raw depiction of a woman who is battling some major demons is absolutely immense. I have heard these things about the show and I will watch it, I promise you, I will watch it. But... The, to me, it's it's good that it covers all those subjects because the title of it sounds like a really shit movie from the from the noughties starring Russell Brand. Absolutely, and I think it's a very deliberate thing because I think the whole point of the show is right. Let's just take this person who would be literally just seen as oh my god, she's some crazy ex girlfriend, and like over the course of four se four seasons show that actually she's not just that she's a, she's a person and she's got a journey to go on and she's gonna make friends she's gonna have relationships she's gonna have a whole life and she can't just be reduced to this sexist term in fact the the theme tune for season one they change the theme tune for every season um and the theme tune in season one has everybody going she's a crazy ass girlfriend and rachel bloom even goes that's a sexist term you know so the whole thing is then breaking down this this term crazy ass girlfriend and showing that behind it is an actual person and you can't reduce her to this out of date sexist phrase right now we're angry and sad it's
I never watch it after your recommendation now then I'm never gonna watch it am I okay I'm gonna do a couple of new things uh, my first one is a band called Bug Eye uh, they've literally released an album in the past week or so it's called Ready Steady Bang they're a London four-piece who describe themselves as a supersonic power chord punk mash up of Blondie versus the Pixies which using the word sonic is quite interesting because a lot of their songs have a really driving bass line that sounds almost like it's from Sonic the Hedgehog's music, and they, they've got a—they're quite aggressive sounding, but they've got a keyboard, like light keyboard touch that kind of lifts the songs into written. They're so catchy. They, I hear Elastica in them, um, and they're just really blooming good. And this song is called "On and On." Bug Eye also have a podcast. It's called Bug Eye's Rock Pop Rambles, where they essentially talk about music history and delve into conspiracy theories or like or or classic stories from rock history. And it's just really interesting. So go check that out. Okay, your next recommendation. Uh, this is another Netflix show, and this is probably better known than Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and probably a lot of people have already seen it, but I'm going to share some love for Shit's Creek. Uh, Shit's Creek is... Language. I know, I'm so sorry. It's okay, it's his sister. People who know the show will know what I mean. Um, Shit's Creek tells a story of a very wealthy family whose money is all, like, embezzled, and they lose everything, and it's a mother and a father and their two adult daughters, uh, not, not two daughters, daughter and son. Um, it's written and stars Eugene and Dan Levy, and they have nothing left apart from a town that uh, the father bought for his son as a joke because it was called Shit's Creek. And so they decide, right, well, the only thing we can do is go there <laughs> and say we need to live here because we own the town um, and so they come from this massive mansion to having absolutely nothing and going to live in a motel in this rundown town and they start off I was I had somebody on Twitter start watching it and they were like oh my god I hate everyone <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I can keep watching this because I hate everyone and I was like you're meant to <laughs> you're, me you're kind of meant to hate everyone at the start 
that one of the central characters is pansexual and it's just not a big deal and I, I I just think it's great to have representation on TV but so often you get this big like either a big story where they come out or like they face challenges because of their sexuality and yes that happens that's real but sometimes when you're watching fiction you don't necessarily want all that grit you just want to see that somebody is a person living the way they want to live loving the people they want to love and David the character of David is pansexual and the, the fact that there's nobody, even in this, like, seemingly kind of backwards town, you know, where everybody is, like, everybody knows everybody, you know, they, they, it's all very colloquial, no one bats an eyelid, there's not a single, what, you're, you, you, what does that mean, you're gay, who, you know, you're into guys, you're into girls, I don't understand, nothing, and I just think that portrayal of total and utter acceptance to me, is so important. But besides all of that, it's just hilarious and has uh, Catherine O'Hara in it, who is one of the funny... Honestly, Catherine O'Hara in Schitt's Creek is one of the funniest <laughs> characters I've ever seen. No, this is a show that I keep hearing about, but it, it's never crossed my radar. In terms of, you know my taste, what do you think I will think of it? I think I think if you gave it a go, you would. You, I think you probably would like it, but I think you would have to go into it with the mindset of I might not love this instantly. I say go for it, go check it out. My last recommendation is another new album. It's called By the Blinders, and check this out for an album title: Fantasies of a Stay-at-Home Psychopath. Oh, oh, that's an excellent album title. It's written about me. <laughs> Essentially, I guess you'd call them a garage rock band. They were formed in Doncaster, now they're based in Manchester. Formed in 2014. This is their second album. Um, I saw them last year spotting Noel Gallagher at Powderham Castle, so it was a big outdoor gig. And they really, I didn't really know much about them then, but they really, really grabbed the moment. And they were so loud and dirty sounding and... They got my attention. I thought I really'd like to see them inside a smaller venue. But I think it would be really interesting to see what they're like in a smaller venue because they've got so much... They're quite loud and so much energy to them. Uh, the sound has evolved a bit for the second album. It's less dirty sounding, I think, but there's more going on. They've got a song, which I'll play now. It's called Something Wicked This Way Comes, and it could really have been written for the Peaky Blinders. So here's a bit of Something Wicked This Way Comes. I am 
That brings us to the end of episode five. If you want to contact us with your memories of Manic Millennium, which Emma wasn't at. That was my cow impression. (laughs) If you want to tell us your Manic origin stories, we're more than happy for that. What else was there? Uh, We need to talk about how you feel about the song Bored Out of My Mind. Oh yeah, thank you. let us know about your opinions of Bored Out of My Mind and contact us on the new email mspod at gmail.com so think of it like smpod <laughs> mspod we can have a name like Terry Wogan had what did he call his listeners? oh togs togs we could call them spods I like that because I like that Adam Buxton calls his listeners podcasts. I love a good spot. We are on Facebook at Manic Street Speakers. We are on Twitter at MSP underscore spot pod. Um, I've set up an Instagram, Manic Street Speakers on Instagram. And uh, next episode will be mostly, I'd say, about the new James album. Woohoo! Until next episode. Every time. Every single time. (laughs) I'm just like, yes. (laughs) I'm so sorry. But please forgive me and allow me to say, we love you one time, we love you two times, we love you three fucking times. Mega, mega, top, top, mega, mega. Good night. Were you there? (laughs) I'm having too much fun now.